0: close to James, James uh, 5, hopefully. So um, while you're getting set, I would like to thank our uh, team that has been running our prayer and praise nights every other Friday night that's been happening for basically since the, throughout the summer. So uh, David and John had uh, this idea and came to me and said, hey, we just want to, we just want to open the doors and get together and pray and see who shows up and and can we do that? And yeah, am I going to say no to that? So uh, thank you. Um, So everybody there, every other Friday night, we have a group here praying for for you, praying with you. Uh, it is an opportunity to stretch your prayer muscles. It's something we're going to talk about today. So David, John, thank you guys for your dedication. Thank you for loving our church and serving our church and serving really our city and world by doing this and going to God in prayer. So again, every other Friday night, the next one is next Friday at seven o'clock. So, um, so this morning we are going to be, this is the uh, penultimate study in James for our series. We are going to, by Uh, If the Lord will allow it, we will finish up next week, but we are going to take a nice big chunk here today as we've been studying the book of James throughout the summer, Um, a book that really is, it's a letter that calls us to investigate the motives of our hearts for the things that we do, and it points us in the direction of how we are to respond as the children of God, and so it's not just go do this, do that. But rather, why do you do what you do? And if you truly have been uh, given a new heart, a new desire, new hopes and mind and, and all of these things that come through putting our faith in Christ, then it should show itself in the way we live. It should matter that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It should matter that that changes our now and our eternity. And so James has been very directly saying this is some ways that that should carry itself out. Um, but really, the heart of it, the, the focus is, what is your heart? Where are uh, where are your motives? Where are your desires coming from? And so uh, this morning, we are going to talk about prayer in regards to that. So I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in uh, to James 5. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and for this chance to gather and worship and celebrate you and enjoy you and enjoy to being together and God, seeing the tangible evidence of uh, your grace and mercy and provision in our midst, uh, the way you've brought this community together and continue to add to it and strengthen it and support it. Um, God, we thank you for all the ways that you have made yourself known in this place and the ways you have cared for us. God, we come here this morning for a a variety of different reasons, but ultimately we want to hear from you. We want to engage with you. We want to be with you and and all that that entails—the rest and comfort and encouragement and challenge and at times discipline if needed. All that it is that is to to sit with you and to be with you and to and to listen and then to respond, God. That's what we're here to do as we open Your Word, God. Give us um, the ability to focus. Give us the ability to um, hear these things and be challenged, be strengthened, be encouraged, and. Uh, be motivated to respond to your word so that we don't just hear it we don't just store it away as information and knowledge but we uh, take what your word has for us and we actually go to live it out and respond to it so god as i preach let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you we pray these things because of jesus and in his name amen so james five we're going to be in verse 13 james five starting in verse 13 is anyone among you suffering And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Let's stop there. Um, So we're going to talk about prayer. I hope you heard it as I read that, that today's main focus is prayer. And so I want to do kind of a big picture view of prayer and just a few words on prayer before we actually jump into the text. Because I don't think I have to convince anyone here that Christians should pray, right? Scripture is pretty clear that we that should be a mark of us as individuals and a community. We should pray. So then the question is, should we pray? No, that's not the question. The question is, why pray, right? If God is all-powerful, if God knows everything, God's in control of all things at all times, why do we need to pray? And the answer has to go deeper than, well, the Bible tells me so. Because if it's just a thing we have to do, if it's just a law to follow, just a, a spiritual box to check off, then there will be no life, no joy, and no substance to our prayers. So what is prayer? Well, Dallas Millard says that prayer is conversing and communicating with God. John Piper, I love this quote from him, he says, Prayer is objectively real, a real God, real communication, real work, real answers, but it also comes in a million shapes and forms. Prayer happens in seconds, short moments in the crack of our day, and it can happen for hours at a time, even throughout a whole night. Prayer is conscious, personal communication with the God of the universe. The New City Catechism defines prayer as pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession, and thanksgiving. The thing that they all have in common with one another is that prayer is engaging with God, and that reality that we get to engage with God is something to stop us and something to be marveled at every prayer if it is the two second lord help if it is 20 minutes if it is silent or written or out loud every prayer is an encounter with god the god of all creation the god who spoke and creation happened the one who keeps things moving the one who holds all things together he's got the whole world in his hands we get to engage with him We have the blessing and privilege to spend time with our creator, our sustainer, our savior and king. And that's because of who he is, because he is the savior, because we have this access to him because of our faith in Christ. By putting our faith in the life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we have an access to the father that we didn't have before. We are his sons and daughters and when if you have kids and when your kids whether it's they have a nightmare in the middle of the night or they fall off their bike and scrape their knee and their natural instinct is to call out for mom or for dad they're not considering their relationship they're not considering are they in a good mood they're not considering anything other than i need him i need her i need comfort i need help i need to be strengthened i need to be held and they call out out of instinct and moms and dads come and we are not angry or mad or we just come and help that's what a good parent does and that's what our heavenly father does we have this access this ability to go as it says boldly before the throne we can walk in and go to him with any and every concern and he hears that and he sees that and he is there in our prayers and that happens because of our faith in christ and not only do we get to do this but god wants us to do this Matthew 11, it says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. God invites us into his presence and prayer is a way for us to respond to that invitation. When you text or call a friend and you invite them to coffee or dinner and you want you do that because you want to hang out with them, you care about them and you care about the relationship, you want to grow that relationship. It brings you gladness to spend time with that person and to build on that relationship. The same is true for God. He delights in you and he delights in spending time with you. And so when we consider that in Christ we have the ability to engage with God, we have the ability and he, to delight him and to have him find his joy in us, to go boldly before him with anything and everything. There is nothing too big or too small to bring to God. He delights in all of that because he delights in you. That reality should affect our prayer life. That reality should affect the way that we view prayer as not just an obligation, a thing we have to do, a to-do list, a, a chore item, but rather a joy and pleasure and blessing. When we have a right understanding of prayer and the reality of what it is, it should change things for us. Now how do we develop prayer? Because prayer is a discipline of sorts. It is something that you can learn and grow in and mature in. And how do we do that? I'll give you two pieces, of, two pieces of advice on how to grow in prayer. One, pray. Just start praying. Start doing it. And the more you do it, the more natural it will become. Start to pray, whether that's alone by yourself, whether you like to – I like to prayer journal. Some of you guys know that. I like to write things out. However it is, start doing it. Start getting into a habit of doing it often. And the more you do it, the more consistent you will become and the the more natural it will flow. Much like when a child is learning to speak, how do they learn to speak? They just start talking. And once they do, they don't stop. Start talking and don't stop. And how else do kids learn how to speak? They listen. They hear mom and dad. They hear their siblings. They hear the people around them talking. So find people who have a a, a devout prayer life. Find people who love to pray, who are consistent in it, who have grown in their prayer life and go pray with them. Ask them to just be around and and be with them as they pray. Find people who love to pray and be around them. If you were here last week, my friend Andy Tamilio preached for us last week and Andy, I said last week, was one of those people who has really helped me grow and develop in my own prayer. Prayer life. And one of the ways that happened is because the, the church that him and I attended, uh, I got invited to be part of uh, a morning prayer group that he was a part of. That was some of the leaders of the church were a part of, and it was 5.30 a.m. every Thursday. And, uh, and so we went, and we would gather together, and there was this accountability, this, this thing where it was like the alarm went off, and you didn't want to, I didn't want to get up. But I knew there were five or six other guys who got up, and they were going to be there, and they expected me to be there and funny story is that for a time this group would bounce from different places but there was a season of time where before i was here before i was the pastor here before even the thought of me being a pastor here uh we met in cf to pray my what is the the children's corner in the back now that was kind of my spot at 5:30 in the morning for a bunch of thursdays i was back there praying before i knew any of you before any of this was possibility uh I used to be back there praying with some of these leaders, and Andy was one of those people who really, like, his heart and passion and and fervor in prayer really inspired and challenged me in prayer. Find people who are are passionate about prayer, and I'll tell you where you can find some of them. 7 o'clock every other Friday night here at the church. They're here. So come and pray. Come and spend time and learn and grow in it. So with the importance and value of prayer, and we, we could talk a lot more about it, but that's not what we're doing today. Today we're in James 5, so let's jump into the text. I hope you heard it. Seven times in six verses, he says pray or prayer. Repetition in the Bible is important. Repetition in close proximity in the Bible is really important. Repeated repetition in close proximity to itself. God is hitting us over the head with the instruction, command, encouragement, emphasis. Pray. God's people should pray. He says in verse 13, basically, pray always. Are you suffering? Pray. Because prayer is a gift in times of struggle, in times of hardship and confusion, in the overwhelming circumstances of life, we should pray. Call out to God, to the God who sees and hears and wants to be a help to you. And on the other side, he says, are you cheerful? Are you cheerful? Celebrate and praise God. But sometimes it's easier, I think, to reach out to God in the hard times. In in the scary times, when everything seems helpless and hopeless and out of control, out of instinct almost, we cry out in prayer. But when the sun is shining, when all is right in the world, when things are good and easy, I think sometimes we get so caught up in the good and easy and fun that we forget about the valleys and the darkness and who it was that set us in this good place. We lose sight of the fact that every good and pleasant thing comes from God, every blessing we have comes from Him, and so I think sometimes in the good, in the happy, in the, in, the, in the easy, we sometimes forget to celebrate and rejoice in those things, in the ways that God shows up. But that's exactly what we should be doing, rejoicing in the providence of God on a daily basis. It comes back to, you want to grow in prayer, be paying attention. It takes intentionality. It takes looking up and engaging with the world around us slowing down and paying attention and taking stock of what God is doing in and through us and celebrating him for those things. And when we begin to look for the ways God shows up daily in our lives, it will become easier and easier to see them. And in those moments, we should celebrate and rejoice in the provision and grace of God. James says, regardless of the good or the bad, the ups or the downs, James's instruction is clear. Our turn, our next step should be toward the God who is in control of all things at all times. Pray, he says. He says, pray if it's good. Pray if it's bad. And if you're sick, pray. Is any one of you sick, he says in verse 14. Let them call the elders. Sick can also be translated weak. Is anyone among you sick? physically or weak physically emotionally mentally spiritually this isn't just a physical thing god cares about our whole physical self and spiritual self if you read in the gospels jesus would teach and preach about the kingdom of god being at hand repent turn from your sins find forgiveness through faith in christ but he'd also heal sicknesses he'd also feed thousands because god cares about the whole person the spiritual and physical are you sick are you weak if so call the elders and have them pray for you in that sentence in verse 14 james is assuming two different things here that the people are in community and that those communities have leadership It says, let them call for the elders of the church. It is assumed that if you are a follower of God, you are connected to a body of believers, a local manifestation of the representation of the Big C Universal Church. It is assumed that you are connected, involved, known, and committed to being known. This is one of the many reasons why membership in the local church is important, to be committed and connected, to have a community of people that you are a part of, to invest in, that allow you to invest in them, A community that you serve and at times are served by now yeah that can happen if you sporadically show up to our church or even if you're just a regular tender you're fairly committed to it but there's a different level of relationship intentionality and commitment and focus when you are a dedicated member of the church we hold membership classes here a few times a year and i encourage you if you're not a member of cf i encourage you next time we hold the class to show up and come, if for nothing else, to learn more about who we are and hopefully help you decide if this is the place you want to connect and be committed to. Because there is great value in entering into a covenant relationship of membership with a local body of believers. James's first assumption is that Jesus, followers of Jesus are connected to a body of believers. The second assumption is that those communities have a form of leadership, elders available to be called. Note that he says, he doesn't say, it's not call some elders from some church. No, he says, call your elders from your church. The ones you know, the ones who are leading and serving and guiding the church as a team. Men of God, who God has chosen and placed in a position of leadership. They are trusted by God to lead and care for and protect God's people. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the head lead shepherd. Elders are the under shepherds. They are the assistants to the shepherd. We are not in charge of this church, Jesus is. It's in the bylaws. Elders are men who are spiritually mature, who desire to lead and are set apart by God. They are not perfect, but they are humble enough to know that they are not perfect, and they are daily pursuing God and trusting in his strength in their weakness. They are those who are pursuing and growing in their faith in God and continuing to grow in their own spiritual disciplines, such as prayer. They are men who who pray with a belief and a faith in the power of control of God and a humility to be able to join Christ in the garden. When Jesus prayed, Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That is the humble, mature prayer. James assumes that there are men like this in these communities who are leading the church and are available to be called. And note that it is the person who is to initiate the engagement of the elders says, if you are sick, if you are weak, if you are struggling, if you need prayer, call the elders. The elders don't know what they don't know. The elders can't know what's going on if you don't tell them. Now, I believe it is the, the role of the elder to be in contact, to know the community they lead. Jeremy Ryan, in his book, Church Elders, says that elders as shepherds should smell like the sheep. They should be engaged and invested in the lives of the sheep, of the people of the church. So yes, the elders should have a general sense of understanding of what is going on in the lives of the people they shepherd. But it is not the responsibility of the elders to go prying and poking into the lives of the church. Honestly, we know as much as you want us to know. So that said, let us know. If you want prayer, if you are struggling physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, talk to us. Because it is the heart and desire of of the elders of this church to see us as a community growing and maturing together, right? The 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 main focus, what we are trying to do as a church, the mission of our church is that we are growing and becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. That is what our church elders want to us to be doing together. And also, please see that it says there in verse 14, if anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. It says there, elders plural, not pastor singular. It's a different discussion for a different day, but in brief, I will say this. I and the elders lead together. Yes, I am compensated. This is my full-time vocation, so I can make myself more available to some aspects of leading the church. But that does not make Dave or Daniel any less of a leader of this church than I am. We serve together. We serve one another mutually. We submit to one another, and we do this thing together. And so if you have not done so, you will be greatly blessed and served by getting to know Dave and Daniel on a deeper, more personal basis. And when it says, if you are weak, call the elders to pray over you, I personally have had both of those men pray over me. And I guarantee you, you will be loved and served by their words and their desire to spiritually carry you into the presence of God. So coming back to this point, it says, we got to know, you got to let the elders know because we're here to serve you to care for you, to come up alongside you and walk with you in whatever the situation is that is going on. And so one of those ways that we can do that is to pray with you and for you, especially in your weakness. And in the verse it says, let them pray over him. It definitely gives the impression of like a a bedside home or a hospital visit. For the person who is too weak to get out of bed, physically, emotionally, whatever it is, let the elders come and care for you in the best way we know how, by praying over you. This is private. This is personal. This is not having to air your dirty laundry out. This is reaching out individually. The three of us are not hard to get a hold of. Talk to us. We aren't hard to find, and we will make that happen. Have you ever had someone pray over you? like Actually, like you are just with them, intimate moment where you allow yourself to be vulnerable, And allow another person or another two people to walk alongside you into the presence of God. It is powerful and amazing to be seen and encouraged in that place. So James continues and he says, The elders can pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. We've already said sick can be a number of things. It can be sick physically or it can be weakness. So this anointing with oil can also be a few things. It can be medicinal as at the time the application of oil for physical healing was common. But you also have the anointing with oil, as you see it in the Old Testament, that has the spiritual component to it, such as Samuel anointing David or the priest being anointed to serve. Those Old Testament occurrences, they aren't magic. There was a physical It's a physical manifestation of someone being set apart for the work of God in and through them. It's a tangible marker on that person to be known, that they are known and seen by God. There's other in- interpretations of what this anointing of oil was intended for or at least what it's gotten turned into, such as there's an interpretation of this that the anointing of oil was for the sick was to prepare them for death, like it's a last rite situation. That's not at all what James is talking about. He's talking about life. He's talking about the power and life-giving presence of prayer, and there are some who have taken that passage and said, no, it's about death and getting someone ready for that. It's not at all what he's talking about. This calling the elders to pray and anoint with oil is about the, the faith Not in the oil, not even in the elders, not really even in prayer, but rather faith in the one being prayed to. Faith that God can do miraculous things. Faith that God cares about our health. Faith that God cares about our sickness. Faith that God cares about our mental health. That he can can and will heal. That he has the power to do these things, either through medicine or through miracles. Or both at the same time, God has the power to make a person well. I believe this anointing with oil aspect still applies today. I have one. I have a little vial of oil. I've used it on some of the people in this church. Again, there's nothing magical about it. There's nothing powerful about it. But rather, it's this this tangible comfort that God has given to us, this teaching point that God has given to us to draw us to himself. Which brings us to what, for me, has been a very challenging and a very direct verse to wrestle with. Look at verse 15. We're going to spend a little while here. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. If you've been with us in James, you know he shoots pretty straight, right? He doesn't really beat around the bush. He's pretty direct at what he says. And here, again, is a pretty direct statement. It's a pretty absolute statement. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Some of your translation, if you're not reading the SV, it might just say, the prayer of faith will heal the one who is sick. Now, he doesn't give us a time frame. He doesn't say it's going to be immediately or in two weeks or six months or six years. But he says it's going to happen. That's a big statement. That's a big statement that requires us to kind of sit and work through a little bit. Right? Because this verse, if you isolated this verse and just took it out of context, you didn't do any study with it. This verse right here could potentially cause some real heartache and suffering. Right? Because if I pray. What this verse says is that if I pray, healing should happen. But what if it doesn't? Clearly then, if it doesn't happen, either the Bible is full of lies and it doesn't matter and I don't have to listen to it, or it means that maybe I don't have enough faith, maybe I'm not a good enough Christian, maybe I'm not strong enough, and it's my fault that that person didn't get healed. So either way, somebody failed, everything's the worst, I just want to give up. Before we walk down that road let's let's slow down a little bit and let's see what james is talking about right off the bat i don't think james means that every person who prays who prays or is prayed for to be healed will be healed why do i say that because when we take in the scope of the rest of the bible nowhere else will we find a similar statement like that And while all of the Bible is the word of God and all of it matters and all of it is good for us, we are not going to build an entire theological stance or belief on one isolated verse. In fact, when you read the Bible and you read about prayer and healing, you really see the opposite. Right? You have, for instance, probably the most famous instance of it is Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He speaks about praying three times that that God would remove the thorn in the flesh that he had. And God clearly tells Paul, no. Instead, he actually says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, not only am I not going to heal you, but I'm not going to heal you for a very specific reason. Along with that is the experience of all of humanity. Death has a perfect score. Everyone has died. Christians, faithful, mature men and women have prayed, have asked God to be healed, have had others ask God to heal them and they still died. Sometimes it is the will of God not to heal. But to flip that coin, we also know that He does heal, doesn't He? He will answer prayers with a yes, and He can and does do miraculous things. The ministry of Jesus is full of them. The apostles went out and served and healed. Paul was able to heal people. It happens. I've seen it. I've been in the room where people with a bad ankle was able to, somebody with a bad ankle was able to jump up after being prayed and put full weight on an ankle they came in limping on. I've seen it happen. I know of pregnancies that were told that they were doomed, produced healthy, thriving, safe children. I know in talking with some of you in this last week because I've been wrestling with this verse and the absoluteness of this verse. And I know in talking with some of you in this last week, I've heard stories of battles with cancer that lasted much, much, much longer than doctors expected them to. Tumors shrinking with no explanation. God is still active. God heals today. But it's not because of a certain set of words that are used. It's not because God got forced or tricked by our prayers into healing. He did it out of his character and his will. So we should be inclined to pray to God that God would bring about healing, but it's a thing that he does, and he doesn't do it every time. So then coming back to our text, what do we do with this blanket statement that James makes here? He says the prayer of faith will heal. And he's not given us, if, it, if, he's not, if it's not actually a blanket statement that it's going to be 100% healing all the time, And James is not here giving us some kind of supernatural prayer incantation that makes everyone feel better. What is James doing here? What do we do with verse 15? Because he says a very direct statement. I want to give you a couple of interpretations. I'm going to give you two kind of popular ones, and I'm going to give you one that I think I land on as of this morning right now. There's an interpretation that says this is not about physical healing. That when James says that the prayer of faith – Prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. He's not actually talking about physical healing. That sick means weak. It could be spiritual. It could be mental. And so it's not actual physical healing. The interpretation is that he's talking about spiritual weakness. And if you pray, God will strengthen your faith and you'll be fine. I think that interpretation is there to avoid the idea that he could be talking about physical healing. And the fact that much of the language of this passage is talking about physical healing. It's playing hide and seek with a toddler. Right? They cover their eyes. And because they cover their eyes, they think you can't see them. Just because you close your eyes doesn't make you invisible. Just because you say it's not about physical healing doesn't mean it's not about physical healing. But that is an interpretation that is out there. I don't think that's accurate. There's another interpretation that says this is specific to a time and place. right? James is written very early, one of the earliest letters of the New Testament. It's written in the time of early acts when the church is scattered because of persecution. It's those early chapters of Acts where we see the Holy Spirit moving in big, miraculous ways. Miracles are happening all over the place to establish and cement the reality of the Holy Spirit and of the church. And so there are some who say James is talking about something that was commonplace at the time and specific to those people in that place at that time. And since we aren't those people in that place at that time, it no longer applies to us. Thus, we don't have to really consider this verse. Tim should be able to sleep a lot easier because it actually doesn't matter for us. People love to discredit discredit difficult parts of the Bible due to the time gap between us and when the Bible is written. But James isn't talking about the work of the apostles to establish the church. He isn't talking about the provision and establishment of the presence of the Holy Spirit among these communities. What's he been talking about? He's talking about the prayer of the elders. The prayer of the leaders of the local church. This is not something that is stuck in one place at one time, but rather rings out throughout time in the ministry and presence of the local church throughout all of history and time. There's a lot of other interpretations on this passage. We don't need to go down all those roads. Here's where I think I land. The prayer of faith. That's that's the key. That's the hinge on this verse. The prayer of faith. It's not really a special prayer. It's a special faith. It is an absolute confidence in this specific matter in regards to the healing of this specific person or situation. It is a supernatural faith in the assurance of healing in this specific instance. It would be tied to 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul is writing about the spiritual gifts that are given. And he says in verse 7 of of, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing, so on and so forth. You can go read Paul's uh, talking about spiritual gifts on your own. But what he lists there is that, yes, all Christians have faith. You have put your faith in Christ. But Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12 that the gift, there is a supernatural extra faith that is a possible gift of the Spirit. And so some say the prayer of faith is a supernatural faith and is an assurance in the specific instance that if prayed for, this person will be healed. And I kind of like this interpretation. Because it's not about the person doing the praying beyond their willingness to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit in their lives, which is what elders should be doing, which is what Christians should be doing. The Holy Spirit says move, we should move. It's not about a special kind of prayer or some magic incantation, and it does not mean that all healings will happen all the time. I also think it's tied back to James 1 when he wrote about asking for wisdom and praying in faith that God would give it to us, not being double-minded but stable and confident in who we know God to be. The prayer of faith, I think, is a movement of the Holy Spirit in a person's life in a, in a similar, bigger way. In this moment, it's the Holy Spirit's assurance that if you step in and pray in here, he's going to do a work. But that leaves some subjectiveness to it, doesn't it? Because what if a person believes, is convicted, and convinced that God "God told me to pray for this person and that they would be healed and they pray, and that person doesn't get healed? I'm 100% confident it's going to happen, but it doesn't happen. I would say if that's the situation, if it doesn't happen then your assuredness, your conviction wasn't actually from God. It's not that it was bad. It just wasn't from God. It wasn't actually what's being talked about here. Because if God grants you with this gift, this gift of faith for this situation, then he has already willed that he is going to heal that person. He wouldn't give you that gift. He wouldn't give you that assurance if he hadn't already willed that he was going to fulfill you stepping into it and using it. Does that make sense? He's not going to tell you, go and do this and then not show up and follow through. But we have to be careful of, is he telling me it or am I telling me it? And that's where we come back to being in the word, walking into the will of God, knowing God, having a relationship with him where you hear more and more clearly, understand more and more clearly who God is, his character, his will, the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is where I'm landing on this text. You are all smart, capable people who can read and study and reason on your own if you come up with something different and you want to talk about it to talk about it with me great let's talk about it i'm happy to talk about it i would love to i think what james is talking about here is a supernatural moment of assurance that god's going to do a work and stepping into it but he also mentions beyond just healing he talks about the forgiveness of sins And he encourages the believers to confess sins one to another, to pray for one another, because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, he says in verse 16. Yes, there are times when sin can be the cause of our physical sickness. Again, we are a whole, full person. Our body and spirit and mind, these things, are connected. They affect one another, right? Stress in your brain can manifest itself, physical manifestations, right? In the Bible, it was common to think that someone's physical sickness was tied to a spiritual rebellion. In John 9, the disciples see a man who is blind from birth, and they say to Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? It was not an uncommon way of thinking. It's not a ridiculous question for them to ask. But Jesus responds and says, no one's sin caused this situation. He was born blind that the work of God might be displayed in him, and Jesus heals the man. The point being, sometimes our sin is can have physical consequences for us, and we should not rule out that possibility. I knew a man who, kind of out of the blue, developed eczema all over his arms and chest. He's in his 30s, healthy, fit, like to work out a lot, like to be active, and then all of a sudden develops this really bad skin irritation, so bad that he felt he had to cover himself up all the time because he was so embarrassed by it because it was so severe. It turns out that shortly shortly before the skin stuff started, he had begun to engage in an ongoing affair with a woman. I can't necessarily prove it, but I truly believe it was God trying to get his attention to get him to stop what he was doing. That he was, God was giving him this affliction to get his attention, but he was so deep into his secret sin that he refused to see the correlation. There are instances of spiritual sickness being correlated to physical sickness. And the healing of the body starts with the healing of the soul. But beyond that is the need in general for all of us to be a people who walk in the light and not in darkness. James gives us this instruction to confess our sins, and it's something that we don't talk or like to consider a lot today. Because the individualism that is rampant in our culture has made it so that we don't want to share our struggles and we want to do everything on our own. We want to just kind of like white-knuckle our way through life, especially when it comes to the church. We think somehow because we are Christians, everything is supposed to be perfect with us, and then now we're saved so we don't need any help from anybody. And that makes zero sense. You are still going to sin, Christian. You are still going to struggle. You are still going to be tempted. Life doesn't magically get easier when you become a Christian. If anything, it gets a lot harder at times. But we feel guilty and ashamed that we have sinned again and again. We failed Christ, and we, we fail to be more like Christ. We sometimes feel like we fall into the same sin over and over, and we feel like a failure. You're not a failure because you sin. You're only a failure if you let the guilt and shame and sin control your life and stop you from pursuing Christ and pursuing community. Because the longer you stay in darkness, the more adjusted to it you get. The easier it is to move around and even see because your eyes get used to the darkness. But no matter how used to the darkness you get, you cannot avoid the pits and holes and destruction of darkness that is waiting for you. Eventually, if you continue to live in the darkness of secret sin, you continue to try and hide and not confess your sins and bring it to light, there will come for you a calamity. Confess before it becomes too late, before your life gets wrecked by your secret sin. And we hear that, and our immediate reaction is, if I bring this thing to light, I will have to deal with the consequences, I will have to deal with the repercussions, and that seems messy and hard, and I don't want to. Yes, it will be messy and hard. There are consequences for our actions, but I promise the end results far outweigh the alternative, because eventually your secret sin that you think you have control over, that you think you have all locked up and contained, has actually trapped you, imprisoned you, and will eventually destroy you. I have watched firsthand how the pursuit of this secret alternate life has destroyed families and churches and relationships and affected not only the people involved, but generations of people beyond it. God doesn't need us to confess our sins. This instruction from James, this isn't about us telling God something he doesn't know. He already knows. He sees it all. He knows it all. He knows the pain and hurt and guilt and shame that you are carrying around. Confession isn't for God. It's for you. It's a gift. It's getting us to put into practice our trust in God's provision of grace and mercy. And when we allow another person into our world, into those moments of vulnerability, much like the physically sick person asking for prayer, when the spiritually sick person asks for prayer, we have the chance to see the power within another Christian. And it's not their power, it's not their holiness, it's not their righteousness, but the power, holiness, and righteousness of Christ imputed to the believer by the Holy Spirit through their faith. Christian, you have a power within you that changes lives. You can change the lives of your brothers and sisters. And that also means that you have the power to change other people's lives, and they have the power to change yours if you will invite them into the physical, spiritual, mental, emotional battles you are waging, you have a powerful ally that can fight for you when you are too tired, too weak, and too beaten up by this world. That's why intentional community is important in the church. That's why we have things like community groups and prayer nights and potlucks and hot dogs and ice cream. Because we want to build and strengthen the relationships of this church to fortify them so that we might be able to hold one another up to strengthen one another and encourage one another to lift each other up in prayer and in the day-to-day life. There is power and James says there is a power not just a power but not just some power but a great power in the right, the prayer of the righteous. And thanks be to God that we're not righteous on our own but we are righteous because of the putting our faith in the life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We receive the righteousness of Christ that we might be able to then experience the power of prayer for ourselves. If not, it's not that you have anything super special. It's not that you have to be this perfect Christian, but rather have faith in Christ, receive his righteousness, and step into the power that has been granted to you. James ends this passage with an illustration of one of my favorite Old Testament individuals, Elijah. Look at verse 17 there. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That's one of those circle underlined kind of parts of a verse because nature like ours means he was a guy. He wasn't magic. He wasn't super special of his own accord. Elijah was a guy who trusted God. He walked with God, he pursued God, and so when he prayed, he was praying in the will of God because he knew the character and person of God so deeply that when he prayed, God answered his prayers with a yes. It wasn't that Elijah knew some secret words to pray or that he was able to verbally checkmate God into giving him what he wanted. He prayed for a drought and it happened for three and a half years. Why in the world would he do that? He did that as a way to work on God's behalf to get the attention of the people who were in rebellion against God. You can read all about it. You want something to study this week? Start in 1 Kings 17 and makes its way all the way through 2 Kings. Elijah's got a lot of cool stuff happening. And when you study Elijah and you study what he was doing, you're going to see a man who was used by God to speak truth and proclaim the goodness and power and authority of God. He is an important part in the history of God's people, of our history. And even with hearing the audible voice of God and having this serious prayer life where he's devout and committed, he also struggled with fear and doubt and depression. Why? Because he had a nature like ours. He was a guy doing his best. He wrestled with the fallen world. He wrestled with his own fallen nature, trying to pursue God. And he knew that for all of the chaos of this world, all of the chaos that he was facing, he knew there was a power in prayer and resting in the knowing who God is. There is still power in prayer and resting in knowing who God is. What I want to do to close us uh, today, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about prayer. We should probably do some praying. So here's what we're going to do. I want everybody as you are able, I want you to stand up. Everybody up. Up, up, up. Everybody up. We've done this a couple of times. We haven't done it in a while. If you are here this morning and you need some physical healing, you are physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually sick or weak, I want you to take a seat. If you are suffering and you are Fighting, but you are too tired to take another step. Take a seat. For those who are still standing, I want you to look around. Find someone relatively close to you, and if you don't want to move, you don't have to move. If you're next to somebody, ask them if you could put a hand on a shoulder. If you're not next to somebody, just turn and extend hands towards the people who are sitting. I'm going to pray. For those who are standing, I want you to join me in prayer. For those who are sitting, I just want you to sit. I just want you to rest. I want you to let us do some fighting for you, okay? We're going to take care of you for a little while. So let's pray. God, you are big and awesome and in control of all things at all times. You made all things. You have the power to heal. And you still do it. God, there are things going on in this room right now. There's physical healing that needs to happen. There's pain, physical pain and exhaustion that needs some relief. There are spiritual and mental and emotional fights being waged. For some people in this room, it is impressive that they're put on shoes and they got out of the house today. God, you are the comfort. You are the strong tower. You are the refuge. You are the one who has the power to step into these moments and to bring healing and to bring rest and to bring comfort and to bring security. God, we ask that you would do those things today. God, we ask that you would move in mighty and tangible ways, that you would breathe, bring some calm, bring some rest, bring some peace in these struggles. God, would you do a work today, a work that only you can do, you can move in ways that even medicine can't, technology can't do. God, would you bring yourself into these moments? God, you know that the struggle, that the pain, that the, of living in this world is hard and exhausting. We got people here this morning, God, who are admitting they need you to just carry them a little bit. They don't got a whole lot of steps going. Pick them up and carry them. Let them know that they are being cared for by the God who sees it. You see their pain. You see their suffering. You hear it. You know what's going on, and you care about them. You are not indifferent to us. You didn't make us and spin this world and tell us good luck, but you are intimately involved in these situations. God, be intimately involved in these situations. God, move in mighty ways, in tangible ways. God, whether you use technology, whether you use medicine, whether you use just you being you, God, I pray that you would bring some peace and healing. God, there is pain in this room. Lord, would you relieve that pain, relieve that suffering? God, as we pray, you said the prayers of the righteous have power in them. God, we're not righteous. I'm not righteous on my own. I'm righteous because of Christ, God. There is righteousness. There are righteous prayers being prayed because of our faith in Christ. God, would you do a work this morning? Lord, would you let these people that are suffering this morning and hurting this morning know that they are cared for, they are seen and heard by you, and that they are not alone, that you are with them, but they are also surrounded by their brothers and sisters, being lifted up and held up by their brothers and sisters. God, let this be what this community is about, that we might be a people strengthened and encouraged by the gospel, motivated by the gospel, challenged and changed by the gospel, that we might be able to walk together in these things, to hold each other up. God, you call us the living stones of the temple, the the living church. God, we are the bricks. We got to hold each other up. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to walk into these moments and to strengthen one another. God, I pray for healing and rest and comfort and for you to move in mighty and tangible ways. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are, for the ways you love and care and provide for us. God, I pray that you would move in these places because you're good. You're a good dad who loves his kids. Lord, would you move? God, we thank you and praise you. Amen.